What's going on, social media? So we're on episode 61, and this is the first of our series in June on innovation. And so when it comes to innovation, one of the biggest things is it starts with change. So we have our special guest here. Jay, I'll let you introduce yourself, kind of what you do, um, to our guests here, our audience. Hello, everyone. My name is Jay Woodruff. I am a workforce enablement specialist working in spaces of change management, uh, digital virtual workplace, and also diversity, equity, and inclusion. Awesome. So I think we got quite an audience tonight. I know um, Nick, he's uh, he's in the IT space as well. There's a few folks here. And within the IT world, we talk about change a lot and same with digital marketing, right? Because by the time we get off the show, something has changed with the algorithm. A new technology has just came in, um, new ways of coding. There's always change, right? And as an entrepreneur myself, change happens every day, you know, um, within seconds. So let's talk a little about why is it so important for change? Uh, love to hear from Eldrick, Jay, go. You, you wanna go first, Jay? Uh, Eldrick, let you go first. <laughs> okay. Um, I, think, I think the important thing to recognize is that um, we, we are looking at change in terms of something that is external and something that is extremely deliberate. Meaning to say that the motivation for change is an external one and that um, it forces us to change and to adapt to the environment. I don't think that is the orientation to go. I think for one, it is a lot easier if we can reconcile with the fact that we change every day. Um, I think Kevin brought out a very good point that the world that we are living today, the social communities that we are part of, whether we like it or not, the way we interact within each of these communities changes every day. Uh, for, for a raft of reasons, we can change the way we interact because uh, life hijacks, uh, we're not feeling too good, uh, you know, for some reason, uh, I want to explore a particular topic and I'm not going to engage this topic with the group of people that I usually engage with because they do not understand. So there's a lot of changes in terms of the interaction and at the same time, there's a lot of changes that goes beneath what we see, which is the algorithms, the, um, the triggers for the user interface, and uh, the user experience. All these things are evolving day to day. Um, on a smaller scale, we don't see them, but as these small pockets of changes piles on, and interestingly enough, I think um, we actually wrote a piece on this, which talks about um, how innovation actually changes the world. It never starts as something big. It's impossible. Because if we look into how 
we do our work, um, how we build products and services, that is, a, that is a limit to how much we can push or produce a day. So improvements comes in small increments. Now, when that happens, you're not going to see that on a day-to-day. But when we start piling the bricks of improvements, one on top of the other, day after day, we will start to see a very big change once in a while. I don't know when, but it will become visible. And when that happens, usually there will be people who can adapt very well because they are always in the moment interacting with changes, new features, new demands from customers. And then there will be those who will say, whoa, this is too radical. I'm not, uh, I don't think I want to be involved with that. Um, so, so this is how I think about innovation. Um, it's not deliberate. Neither is it external. It happens all around because we are living in a capitalist-driven society. We have to bring our A-game wherever we go. And everyone else is. So if you don't, there will be someone in your industry, in your business, that is eager to outgrind you and kick your ass. So, so that's, that's how I think about change management. It's not, it's, 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 it's not about a line of service within consulting. It is about accepting that we have to continuously learn new things as we go along. That's, that's my take. Well said. Go ahead, Jake. I said, definitely well said. So I think you're talking about, right, ultimately the amount of change that happens in the world around us every day brought into the workplace is very much about business solvency and competitive advantage. Uh, You kind of spoke to that at the end of your piece just now. Uh, I think organizations understanding that there's a need to level out how they align the opposite change internally to the external world that your uh, employees live in, right? So even in any organization, a couple things happen. One of which would be that even the people that aren't technology adopters at work, they're technology adopters every day at home, right? We all have smartphones, everything's always changing, always new applications, all these things happening, and they're doing those things every day. So even though you can categorize some people as people that are averse change in the business world, in their public space, they're, they're adapting change quite a bit. The real crux of the problem to me becomes a cognitive dissonance around kind of what we call digital transformation. So I think a lot of people see some career mortality around technology essentially taking jobs away. And the important piece for an organization to understand and acknowledge people's kind of scare or fear around change and what's happening, and then bring them in with kind of very open and transparent communication Reality to me in my role becomes uh, it's how you define resources and how you define your resources to make change, but it is not in which my standpoint, it's not a situation in which uh, many people will lose jobs because of change happening. It will be, be that some jobs will be retooled and will have the opportunity to then return to what they're doing for the company and how they can show value. And I think that's the big piece of it. No, you brought a good point there. I think it, it, communication is huge, you know, when it comes to change, especially when you're talking about organizational change, because um, within 
larger organizations, period, you know, there's a lack of communication oftentimes, um, you know, even from the top down, because uh, you're talking about if as an organization with a 50 plus people, it's already hard enough to bring people together. So when you talk about adapting to either a new way of doing things or technology, communication like how do you communicate right how do you, everyone's used to doing things a certain way um i experienced this in the digital marketing world right every day it doesn't matter just linkedin since well right now there's a huge audience on linkedin linkedin alone you know what it was you know a month ago is already different today you know what worked then doesn't work now you know um uh, people were all hopping on pre-pandemic doing sales on LinkedIn, um, sending messages, booking appointments. You can't book appointments now because all these bots are just all over it, you know, and there are flooding inboxes and people are changing the way they think about LinkedIn and social media prospecting. So, so when it comes to change management, you know, that's another thing as a leader, if you're, an executive on a sales team or a VP of sales, you got to look at, uh, so how do we do sales now? And even in the world of the business world, right? In the US, I can only speak for out here in the West, right? Things are opening back up. Um, people are talking about embracing, okay, this hybrid model. So what does this hybrid model mean? You know, where, hey, maybe we go to work, you know, two two times out of the week and then we work from home then you gotta look at your technology stack you know uh, what does that look like the share of files um security you know um taking laptops home there's all this stuff and so being in both of you like aldrick i know you work for eccentric as well so what what does that look like for to get employees to adapt to now we're adding the pandemic into it and getting over the pandemic and making people comfortable to go back into the workplace and then working from home. I think, I think that is, um, okay. How should I say this? Um, at, over, over the course of preparing for, uh, the month of disruptive innovation, uh, for bottoms mm -hmm. up perspective, I, I went through a lot of um, content and points to string up research that's relevant, uh, especially for this episode, which is change management. And I came across a very interesting book by Dr. John Carter. Uh, the title is Leading Change. He, he lists out eight points that are important. Uh, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with it. Uh, the story is very simple. It's um, a group of emperor penguins in South Pole. Uh, they were very happy with where they stay. Just, just imagine them as the hobbits in the Shire. Happy people. They don't venture out of uh, the Shire. And uh, they are gardening folk, uh, nature-loving, nice, happy with their life. I mean, obviously, did, did, you, you will not associate this group of people with change, right? I mean, like... I, I suppose Gandalf doesn't bother to advocate change management when he goes to the Shire. It's like, no, it's probably not, not, not the right group of people. Uh, I, have a, I have a higher chance in Gondor or Rohan, but anyway. So, um, <laughs> so, so um, Dr. John Cotter mentioned 
two points up front, which I think is the right priority. And that is one, you need to identify, if not create a sense of urgency. So you need to identify, if not create a sense of urgency. And there's a difference between the two. If you are an emperor penguin and you can see that the icebergs are cracking and that uh, they are chipping off and you see that in front of you and you know that you have a big family to take care of, you have a natural sense of urgency. You don't need to create it. What you need to do is to bring all the naysayers to where you are and show them that your home is getting destroyed. And I think that brings a very strong message. Uh, partly because in the institutions that we are involved in, plus the world that we are living in, uh, there's a truckload of conspiracy theories going around, uh, you know, uh, uh, saying things that goes against the official narrative. And, and that, that is, there is some sense in that because not everything about the official narrative is an accurate one, an accurate representation of what uh, things are. And so you need people to poke the holes and challenge the norms. But um, the intelligence of the group, I think is something that we have to realize that if everyone can see from themselves that the iceberg is melting, and their homes are getting destroyed, no one is going to say that climate change is a fake thing. They're going to say, oh, geez, we better, we better do something, right? It's either we, we save our home now, or we have to look for another soft pole, which, I mean, of course, the chances of success is probably less than 10%, right? Because we only know that there's one soft pole. So, so you need to identify and create a sense of urgency. And that sense of urgency has to be wrapped to what we hold dear in our heart. So is it, is it family? Okay, maybe not so much for me in terms of family, but for a lot of people, it's family. Uh, it's how whole is your, is your job, right? Now, the second point that uh, he brought up, which I think is very important, is to find supporters for your cause. Um, in, over the course of work that I used to do as a consultant, um, if you're in my team, naturally you're an ally, but of course there are people who actually hold you back in your own team, right? So uh, let's, let's leave, leave them aside. What I mean is, it's important to have allies on the side of your client who sees what you see. And that is, we better do this. If not, we are gonna get our ass kicked. And usually when it comes to institutions, um, it's a packing order. So the, the lower you are within the packing order, the less executive power you have, the more vulnerable you will be in terms of changes that's necessary. If you were to present a very high level of resistance to what is necessary, chances are you're not going to have a very good time in the organization. So. That's, that's what I think. I think when it comes to change, uh, a lot has to deal with people. Uh, so, so the research that we have done coincides with Dr. John Cotter's work. And I think that's, 
that's a very interesting way of presenting the eight points. Uh, creating and identifying that sense of urgency is very important. Otherwise, you, you're not going to get a buy-in. And I think that is the, the key. Well, it's difficult because uh, not everyone shares the same sense of urgency, unfortunately. What do you think, Jay? Uh, that was great. There's a lot there to unpack. But I mean, I think starting kind of from the end point back, the executive sponsorship is huge and stakeholders sponsorship is huge. Being involved at both the altitude and then at the ground floor level of day to day of the change huge from an executive space, uh, I think, as well as you're talking about. I think one of the things that organizations missed is change management for some time was very much an IT. It was uh, ITIL CSI stuff. It was IT explaining why the change was happening and not really explaining or explaining me, the apparent fundamental values to the organization for this change and then also what's in it for the contributors inside the organization as well. Uh, I think one of the things when I talk about uh, how even your naysayers are uh, curious from a technology standpoint a lot in their personal life is in their personal life and all of our personal life, the applications that are being presented to us daily inherently kind of tell us fundamentally why it's important to us, why it would be important to us, and that's why we then download and ingest and use those applications. The, the IT version inside the organization of change management is more about kind of the nuts and bolts of the change, which then, of course, is not going to get people interested in as much uh, changing the work they're doing or how they're doing the work more significantly uh, because they don't understand what inherently is there for them as far as their productivity. Uh, I think that what you want to do as an organization is not have it be uh, a doomsday scenario. You don't want to have the carrot or stick. I mean, you really want to open it up in a way in which your people can see, all right, this is why we're making these changes. This is the independent advantage that we're looking for to make these changes. And this is how I can then be effective in my career by being completely consistent. It's really coming to me, it's, it's largely about optics. So when the optics are off, these people don't necessarily need to invest because they're going to dig in and kind of do their job as they want to do their job and keep it When the optics are aligned the right way, when they understand the inherent benefit to them in their career path, your people will most definitely be on board and then try to figure out what the new space looks like, how they do things in that space effectively in their roles, and then how they continue to kind of uh, uplift their career from the change that happened inside your organization. That's a great perspective because I think a lot of times, um, you're right, Jay, the entire perspective of change management has worked. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how large your organization is. We're all in the people business, and it's about culture now and uh, inclusion. And it's it's not just uh, we look at the ROI, but we also have to grow people. And how do you make uh, everyone comfortable with the change? And how can they benefit and see the value of the change, not just the executives, right? Because you got to move the entire farm not just parts of the farm. So that's a great, you know. That's well said. And, and I think that uh, to kind of pick back on what you're saying right now, right? Culture is how the organization sees itself. Uh, climate is how the contributors see the organization. So what you want to do is try to align those two things. And when they're misaligned, and that's when 
change or innovation doesn't happen right in your organization because how that organization views itself versus how the people view itself very different. And when those two things are not aligned, then that's when you get people that are going to put the essentially their foot on the brake on the change because they're skeptical of what's happening. With the culture and the climate aligned more, then your people will be more aligned to actually being invested in the change that are happening. That's good. So what is the best way? So if a company is looking at, and anyone can answer this, right? If a company is looking at making a change in a technology stack of, or the way they're doing things now, where's a good start? Where, where does, what does that look like? Uh, you know, someone that's new to the whole concept of change management, because a lot of times, especially mid-sized organizations, they just, the executive team just decides to make a change, right? And they don't think about the outcomes of the people or what's going on. It's like, let's just change. So let's talk about that a little bit. Is, uh, let's say some of our viewers here, they might be on the executive team or they're in a leadership position to make these options or choices. Uh, what should they consider? So, I mean, major organizational changes don't just happen, right? Like you're, you're yeah. doing it for something that then really boils down to, again, solvency or competitive advantage. But it's a big reason to the vision of how you're changing your corporation. I think once you're starting to look at what you're trying to do to change, why you're trying to do it, how you want to operate as a company, uh, then you start immediately thinking about the change management piece because that's, that's human being, human psychology. How do I get everyone on board with understanding why we're doing this as an organization? And what the value is. So I think that starts in the early planning stages. Twofold. The best opportunities, and I've, I've, I've been brought in a lot of different time inside of a timeline. Uh, and I would say the later that you're starting to think about your people and your process, uh, especially with technology, the more difficult it becomes to get your people to be brought in. So the earlier you think about it, the have those conversations better. Hmm. That's good. Aldrich? I, I think there's a lot more depth in that question um, because when, when we talk about organizations, um, look at the, the number of people that we have to deal with internally as, I mean, we, we, we can see them as internal clients. And if you have a lot more internal clients, then the buying is going to be very difficult. Um, now, why I say that is, if we look at the startup world versus the S&P 500 world, which one will adapt to disruptive innovation faster? And I think the answer is obvious. Um, there are many reasons to that. So one, we, we can argue that they are in debt, they are in debt business. So, because I'm in the business of disruptive innovation, how I do things yesterday, I want to one up today. So the nature is ingrained in the work that you do. So the feedback loop is created on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, I wouldn't even argue day-to-day. -day. Um, I would say like every time when work is being done and it's being committed 
already the feedback loop for improvement is in gear. So if you write lines of codes and things like that, and then you'll start thinking, oh my gosh, that's really chunky. Can I performance tune it? It's like, oh shit, I missed this out. What can I do the next time to ensure that I didn't miss this out? Or wow, the, 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 task, is, the task is impossible. So can we actually have an open source system where everyone chips in a little? So uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example of what I mean. And it rhymes in parallel. It, it runs in parallel with the startups that are involved in disruptive innovation. In the digital publication that I'm involved in, we are running on improvement loops every single day. So there's um, a group of 30 editors. We crawl through and publish in the ballpark of 150 to 180 the articles a day, uh, four minute long articles, five minute long articles, six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes. And we look to ourselves and we say, how can we turn around within 24 hours every single day? Meaning if Kevin were to write an article and sends it to me now, how can I ensure that before tomorrow, this time, his story is published, assuming that I do not reject it because there are copyright issues, uh, there's plagiarism issues, and uh, you know obviously the, the content doesn't tie with the headlines. Things like that do happen, but let's say for the purposes of discussion that it doesn't. So then it is with this common alignment of the, pro of the problem or the issue that we have to face as the publication grows, the number of story grows, but the same turnaround time is required. We need to look at ways, innovative ways of getting our job done. Now, in the S&P 500 world, if you look at this same problem, they will say it's time to increase headcount. Right? It's time to increase headcount. I need to speak to HR, we need to have a budget, I need to have a, you know, someone more uh, uh, experienced, tenures, uh, editors, to, so that we can help us do this. But in, in today's terms, there are many ways to deal with that. And the group of editors that I'm working with, we are all on a voluntary basis, meaning we're not getting paid. Okay. But of course, by doing that, it helps us to push our stories further. So that is remuneration, but it's down the line. When it comes to this task that we do, we look at ourselves and we say, okay, how can we work in collaboration with each other to say, you know, uh, let's do, let's clear eight in the publication queue a day. Now, since it's voluntary and we have a day job and we have family obligations, the, the question would then be, are we able to identify the topics that we have knowledge over so that we can clear them as fast as possible in terms of our time commitment, which is voluntary. So to solve this derivative problem, we turn to technology to say, okay, so this technology allows us, it's a simple technology. It allows us to 
segregate 180 stories a day into various categories. So uh, it could be a category on writing, a category on climate change, a category on disruptive innovation, a category on self-improvement, and one on non-fungible tokens. So with that, with that change, it's a very simple change at the background, which is supported by applications that is easy to use for people who want to use it, then it becomes very easy for all of us to clear the segments that we are strong at in order to deliver what we have promised to our writers. So I think that uh, if, we, if we look at that, the startup world, uh, the open source community concept, that world that we are living in, change happens daily. And it's just going to roll on because the startup world and the open source communities will eventually eat up the wall. It's, this is my opinion. Now, then why is the S&P 500 kind of a big companies, why do they need like multi-year or multi-decadal change management programs? I, I, I was thinking about it and I think that um, it is not about the resistance to change by and large because if that is the case, no one would have bought Apple iPhones, right? It comes. And when Apple iPhones first came along, it was so different from the rest of the smartphones that has plastic keyboards. There's nothing, right? The keyboard appears when you need it and it runs on applications. But people stuck on and they moved because there is no path of high and heavy resistance in using it. So when, when we move on the path of least resistance and we get people to understand that you, know, you have to do that and that it doesn't take up too much of their time beyond their normal day-to-day, -day, I think that the chances of a successful change management program for a large organization, uh, it will move. I think so, but it will take time. You brought, up an, That's my point. you brought up an interesting point, Eldrick, um, when you brought up the whole iPhone, right? The disrupt, disruptive change, right? That people were open to using the iPhone when it first came out. But a big part of that is where marketing comes in, right? So when we talk about change management without marketing, I think marketing is a huge piece in it too. It's not just convincing the people externally, but in an organization, people have to market to the people internally as well, having them understand why the change and get excited about, you know, whatever they're changing. Uh, I think whenever the iPhone started rolling out, we were drilling our heads uh, with excitement that this new piece of gadget is going to change our lives. You know, the messaging was so good. So we weren't even thinking about changing the way we were using the Blackberry or the Nokia. We were just excited for this this glass screen and all the new functionality, the futuristic look and feel, the packaging, uh, you know, because I think, you know, Steve Jobs and the micro, you know, the 
Apple team, the Macintosh team, they did their homework and it was so well delivered. And by the time they roll it out, we were ready for change. A couple interesting points from both you guys, man. I mean, I think that, um, I don't know that disruptive innovation is an enterprise goal. Uh, I think that's more of a startup or SMB goal. Uh, enterprise goals are more around competitive advantage. So I think when you understand that fundamentally for an enterprise, then having your people get on board is huge. But to your point of the iPhone, what you guys talked about. So what Steve Jobs did excellently with Apple is have a very simple message to how it can enhance your life, how the products can enhance your life, in which case then people bought in and they were interested in trying to see how it can enhance their lives. So part of what you were saying earlier of IT and organization who their customers are, right? Their customers are the business side. So they have this internal customer group with all the business. So understanding how to talk to the business in a world in which they're bombarded by technology every day is key. And understanding that you have to talk to them in some of those similar ways that they're bombarded by uh, technology in their personal lives is huge, right? Just really how you communicate the optics of what's happening is big. And that's why change management started as an IT augment and then became a business side augment. Understand the marketing or the marketing principles of people understanding inherently why this is going to change their work life and how it's going to change their work life and what's there for them. Sorry, that's all I had on that. Oh, that's good. And I think when it comes to, I, I agree with you, uh, you know, I think, yeah, Steve Jobs definitely had the right messaging and it was very convincing. And when it comes to change, there's just, you know, there's so many aspects of the term change management, right? There's organizational change, there's daily change within our own lives, there's startup change and change is something it's outside of our control. You know, every day we walk out the house, there's something is changing and how we manage it, you know, is important, you know, for both our personal lives and, uh, you know, an organization's life as well. So, so t tonight we, you know, we wanted to kick off the whole innovation series on change management because we feel in regards to innovation, it has to, start with the ability to accept that there's a need and be able to identify the need for change. Because a lot of times we can't even, how do we know there's something to change if we can't identify it? And I think that's where, you know, uh, professionals like Jay come in. Um, he can help you identify, you know, the, where you need to change in an organization. So tell us um, for our viewers out there, What's the best way to follow you and um, the company that you're, you know, that you've launched? Yeah, sure. So we are in the OK Consulting. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn at Jerry Woodruff. Um, yes, definition of helping people understand and how to move their organization, move the needle. I mean, this topic is huge because really, as Algebra was saying kind of earlier on, it's not really about the technologies, it's really about the people. So understanding sooner rather than later, you have a vision for changing your organization that it has to start with how you're going to get your people to adopt that. Is huge. One of the biggest things that I've seen is consultant on every level 
is companies putting money into different technologies and not bringing their people along. And then the ROI is minimal because they just wasted a lot of money because people are not adopting those tools. Yeah, that's great. Hey, we appreciate having you tonight and thanks for joining us, Jay. So hey, thank you guys. All right. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. And good morning for the people in Asia as well. So yes. there you go. <laughs> so bye.